0: Disney Animated Cannonball. Uh, I'm Talon Lee, he him. I'm Fox Lee, she her. And, w- and this is the podcast where we watch the entire Disney Animated Cannon one by one and have a good therapeutic bitch about it afterwards.
1: Indeed we do. And in this episode we are talking about 1970s The Aristocats.
0: Mm, boy, this is, a, this is a movie.
1: Under most forms of food packaging law, Something needs to comprise (laughs) the bulk of a product before you can label it that. So, for example, if you want to sell something that is cheese, the majority of the product in the packet needs to be cheese. And under that distinction, I would like to suggest that we watched movie product.
0: Uh, we watched, uh, by volume filler, I think. We watched We Have Lady in the Tramp at Home. Boy, did we... (laughs) And that neatly takes care of my final note for the evening. Boy Lady in the Tramp sucks when it's just worse with cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I feel like they were trying to recapture that magic. Because we we really quite enjoyed that, setting aside the racism. And uh, and and this I I believe it's trying to recapture the same feeling, but With a whole lot more slapstick and a whole lot less dignity.
1: You know that thing you get in a group project where someone clearly didn't contribute anything and so the slides are all just magnificently overdone with (laughs) dozens of font choices and like fancy borders and every word is highlighted and hyperlinked because they have no idea what they're doing. But they're just putting tons and tons of effort into it. Anyway, I think the first thing we do here is the plot in 60 seconds.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, is it my turn for that, or is it your turn for that?
1: Well, you uh, you did the Jungle Book.
0: I did it. Okay. okay, Talon, do you want to tell us the story of the Aristocats in under a minute? Your time starts now.
1: Four cats are the property of a rich old person who is going to will everything she has to them. The butler who was hoping to get the money is mad about this and conspires to, I'd say, kill them, but also does a terrible job of it the cats then make their way back from where they were disposed of with the help of another cat, and the collected animals get rid of the butler. And I think that's it.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we went over a lot of detours, but uh, I think you covered everything that's actually relevant, and with a good 30 seconds left, just about.
1: Yeah. like
0: I, 25.
1: And I, and I wasn't trying to be flippant. Like, I really am trying to think about, well, what is the actual sequence of story events that carry what would be called the plot of this movie? And what is instead... What could you remove without removing the sequence of events?
0: Yeah, look, this this story, like I said, by weight, this is filler. Yeah. I'm gonna say it's about 30% story, and uh, the remaining 70% is slapstick, and just animators having a fun time. Or both of the above. Well, and songs. But... The songs aren't good so yeah and they're not they don't serve a diegetic purpose or an emotional purpose for the most part so well and, and just
1: just a note of resistance no not not resistance or protest but just a a finger in the page here because we have in the past remarked that disney doing animation for animation's sake does come out really well oh yeah And music, for music's sake, can come out really well. It can. And we are not of the time. So it's entirely possible this is the only (laughs) kid-friendly jazz you're going to get your hands on. Yeah,
0: maybe. I don't know. I just uh, There's not a song in this that wouldn't have been better if they hadn't let toddlers sing part of it. Yeah. (laughs) There's there's your first mistake. Uh, But we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. Because we like to start by, by talking about our existing relationship with this movie. If indeed we have one. And uh, our expectations going in. Do you have anything to comment there, Talon?
1: I've read a storybook on it. That's all you got.
0: That's mostly how I encountered it back in the day as well. Uh, I had seen one sequence extensively, which is uh, when the, the butler is taking the cats out to try and get rid of them on the motorcycle. And he gets harassed by dogs. Because once again, this was on my dogs in Disney stuff. Uh, of course, of supercut episode, and they were like, "Well, there's some dogs in this one. Put them in. That's funny stuff." Uh, so I've seen that lots, and the rest of it, I think, once ever in total. Um, and boy, it's worse than I remember. <laughs> 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 Sorry, man. This movie is—it's just dull. And uh, that's—that's kind of what I was expecting going in. I wrote down, "I don't think I will enjoy this much. Swaggle or no swaggle." <laughs>
1: Look, I had fun researching everything else about this movie.
0: <laughs> hey, if that's the most fun you can have with a movie, then that'll do you.
1: Yeah. Because I have functionally no pre-existing connection to this media. Uh, hey, Fox, got anything for the double take?
0: <laughs> um, Actually, I have one thing from the, from the double take. It's a bit weak. But, uh, I did realize that, in between the the time that I first saw this and watching it this time, I actually recognized that piece from Carmen, the place at the beginning. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, hang on a minute, I know this from like Tycho no something. Osu- <laughs> 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 but that's all I got.
1: All right, in which case we move <laughs> on to our next segment. The Yikes door, or product of its time.
0: Mmm. Yes, well, this uh, this area of our uh, analysis hasn't been getting enough of a workout lately, I don't think. We just did the Jungle Book. Oh, well, yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> this can't possibly be as yikesy as the Jungle Book, can it? All right. Well, no, actually, but they're going to try their hardest.
1: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So, this is a movie fundamentally about a uh, rich Parisian old blood with giant piles of money.
0: It is. <laughs> I just noted a bit of, you know, casual eugenics bullshit in the opening song that was, you know, it's, I mean, it's cat jokes, so it's all about good breeding. Yeah,
1: no, fuck that, fuck Virtually them.
0: no flaws, and like... Fuck this. <laughs> yuck. I hate it. One of the points of the plot
1: here is the idea of a rich, old, daft person... Uh, dumping their money on their pets, which is seen as, like, an eccentric thing for billionaires to do. But this is Paris in the 70s. There are a lot better uses of her money than giving it to cats.
0: Mm, that's a good point.
1: And so, like, on the one hand, there's a song I love called The Death of an Unpopular Poet by Jimmy Buffett, where the whole premise of the song is that a poet who passed away willed all the royalties to his, of his poems to his dog. And the dog got to live out his life happy and 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 well fed, and like again, the the butler touches on this of like oh the cats are going to live for like twelve years, but it's also like you only have twelve more years, and all of those twelve years are going to be spent taking care of cats in the lap of luxury.
0: You'll notice that they had to have him like fuck around and and do stupid math based on them all having nine lives, yeah, it, as if they were cumulative. To justify the fact that he couldn't just wait for a cat to die before he inherited a bajillion dollars.
1: Or, or even that he would be inheriting a bajillion dollars with a job of take care of four cats. Yeah,
0: it sounds awfully cushy to me. And yeah. like, I wouldn't, I a thousand percent understand the idea of I want my beloved pet to be taken care of after I die. Yeah. But if your take on that is, I want my entire Parisian mansion to go to taking care of my beloved cats when I die. Yeah. You might have a class blindness problem.
1: Yeah, like for a start, you have a fucking Parisian mansion. Exactly.
0: Like, why not give your cats, I don't know, a, a shed, which is better than any other cat has to itself, frankly.
1: Or why not spend that money on a shelter, which can pay yeah. people jobs.
0: Yeah. There's there's a lot of possibilities. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's harmless fun eccentricity if we take it at its own values. But uh, I'm just a little sore about the idea of doing that since we're watching a wealthy person go, well, really, my pets are more important than non-wealthy people, aren't they?
1: Bonus! The geese do actual
0: honest-to-fucking-god phrenology on O'Malley. Yeah, that's nasty. Like, I did not remember the geese at... All from having seen this before, and they are dreadful. They talk about the slope of his forehead and the spacing of his eyes. They do. It's literal phrenology. Fucking hell! Yeah, they're creeps. Well, um,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, we're throwing a little yikes here for females out of the children. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they're, I get it, they're, they're little boys and they're going to say stupid things about their sister, but it's sort of an ongoing theme that no one ever corrects anyone for. It's... Passes without note.
1: Yeah, same thing with the whole, you know, I'm a lady kind of thing. Like, uh, you're a child. It's not nice for me to sit here and go, that's a stupid attitude, kid. <laughs> but, you know, it's still, yeah, rankles. O'Malley refers to the center of Paris's mansion district as
0: fancy wigwams. Yeah, that got a yikes out of me, but I'm going to cut in before that even because I have a big old capital letters note here saying, stop. Trying to flirt with the guy who was trying to flirt with your mom. Ooh. Ah! ah. Oh. Once again, I get it. It's the precocious little girl trying to do what her mum does and being into romance ahead of her time and stuff. But it's when that's her mum's love interest, that's fucking creepy. Yeah. Stop doing
1: that. It's not cute. And it's, a, and, and it's one of those things where what dude approved this part of the script?
0: Mm. Mm. I did not like it.
1: We have a incoherent stumbling drunk who is treated as being delightful and whimsical, because having a drunk relative at some kind of gathering doesn't stress anyone out, especially not the small children.
0: No, no, it's good. Now, uh, before we get to the big yikes, (laughs) I have a small subverted yikes. Yes? uh, Which is just that I, much like uh, Tramp dealing with Lady uh, in the better version of this movie, I was very pleased that O'Malley was not pushy about her staying with him. He... He put up his case, but when she was like, nah, we still gotta go back, he was like, well, I guess you do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, good for not being a fucking creep.
1: O'Malley is better than he seemed he'd be, but still not good.
0: Yeah, that's about right.
1: I'm not going to jump into the big yikes and instead skipping around that one so we can do it last. Ah, okay. So instead I'm going to point out that, uh, Edgar chucked the cats in the oven? Ha <laughs> which like you have some people working on staff who like served in the war it just feels like a real
0: yeah look for context uh listener if you haven't watched this one i won't blame you if you skip it uh this is like a temporary cell in this usage it's not on he's not trying to dispose of them but it's still just that that is a yikesy bit of imagery. That is concerning. Maybe I wouldn't do that in a children's movie. Mm-hmm. And bonus Geography yikes. Ah yes, because our trunk at the end is attempting to be mailed to Timbuktu, which is where?
1: According to the label, East
0: French Equatorial Africa. Goodness.
1: Except it's not. Timbuktu is in Mali, and Mali has been Mali for 11 years at the point where this movie got made. So someone is remembering their high school geography about where Timbuktu (sighs) is, and they're not fucking checking that an African country has begun to exist after escaping French colonial rule. Just saying, fuck you, Edgar.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, the whole use of Timbuktu itself is yikesy, because what is Timbuktu in a children's story context? Oh,
1: yes, it's a very far off place.
0: It's the middle of nowhere. I didn't think it existed until mm. I remember distinctly a teacher in primary to- primary school making a point of saying to the class Timbuktu is a real place. It's not made up.
1: Yeah, and it's it was one of the wealthiest places in the world. The whole point of To Timbuktu at the time was like, you are going to look for things all over the place. And the only African city we can name is the center of the Mali Empire, which at one point in history had more money than all of Europe.
0: And to have that become a shorthand for bumfuck nowhere.
1: Yeah. Good God. If you remember the story of Mansa Munsa, the guy who did his pilgrimage and along the way devalued gold everywhere he went. (laughs)
0: Because he was too fucking rich.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He came from Timbuktu.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, right. Shun gone. Did you look up this cat's name? I looked up all the cat's names. Goodness me. Yeah, so uh, towards the end of the movie, we get our, our fun night on the town sequence where the cats get together with some disreputable cats <laughs> uh, who, you know, to be fair, I kind of like that we have a cosmopolitan concept going on here. Yeah. Because if you're going to get together with a bunch of people who are cool and good people despite being on the wrong side of town a bunch of immigrants is a great way to handle that
1: a bunch of artists
0: yeah exactly but uh maybe you should do that without making them quite so incredibly yikesy
1: so i will say when you look at this collection of, of of characters all right you have an italian you have a british person you have a russian largely not really a problem at this point. Like. You know, maybe you could make a case that you should handle the Russian a little more carefully in the context, because, you know, there's the USSR just over there, but it's not like you could go and hire an actual Russian.
0: He's a bit part anyway. He, he, uh... Hey, he,
1: he bullies the mouse later.
0: They all get a couple of lines. That's the only reason that I worked out the last one was also some kind of immigrant coded.
1: Uh-huh. Um, the problem is gone the, the problem is, very simply, the Siamese cat that talks in buck-tooth-speaky and... And indeed has huge exaggerated buck teethies. And plays the piano with chopsticks. Plays the piano
0: with fucking chopsticks. Wears a symbol like it's a rice hat. Yep. It's well, just a checklist. Yeah. Of shitty stereotypes. I had not at all at the time realized how bad this was. Like, the cats in Lady and the Tramp bounced off of me because, like, Siamese cat. And because I'm Seven. And I don't understand how fucking racist this is, but it's like just one thing. Yeah. This <laughs> cat is like, every time you see him in frame, they're like, shit, quick, have him do something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have him do something incredibly offensive. It's like they were trying, which, you know, demonstrates nothing so much as the fact that every one of these things was considered a hilarious bit gag.
1: Yeah. Everything that they are using shouldn't for is meant to be funny and and in a later section of the podcast we'll actually talk about how there are some genuinely fantastic stuff here that is now like quietly tainted because of its
0: association with shungon yeah he's a real standout in that sequence but that's all i have for the yikes door yeah that last one is a doozy but uh we'll, we'll we'll close the yikes door now we'll go back to to taking the movie on its own terms uh, you know, be aware of that one if you decide you might want to watch this. That's definitely what the of its time warning at the beginning of this one is about. And now, boop, 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 boop.
1: eyelash watch.
0: Oh my God! I forgot to eyelash watch. Oh no! I've forsaken my duty. Boop, 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 boop.
1: That was eyelash watch. Next up, we have Swaggle Watch. Uh,
0: yes. I have <laughs> forsaken my eyelash watch duty because I was so preoccupied with Swaggle. I
1: gave up counting.
0: Oh my god. We got him immediately. We got them hard and fast. Was Edgar the first one we spotted? No, no. In the car, when she's talking to the cat as it's
1: climbing on, on her shoulder, the old lady, <laughs> the madame. There's a Swaggle in the first Well-y. minute of this movie.
0: There's one in the opening credits with one of the cats. <laughs> I told you there were some dignified Swaggles in Disney. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, she does them. Edgar does them. Boy, O'Malley does them. He loves the Swaggle. Oh. That's, uh, I definitely have a note about this voice actor being a Swaggle magnet.
1: Oh, yes. Well, you you, <laughs> you, you, you can...
0: That's a secret point that we'll get to later. <laughs> uh, Uncle... Oh, what was his fucking name? Uncle Goose. Uh, he do a swaggle. Haha, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Drunkards are good swagglers, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure that's not all of them either. I I bet the dogs did a couple, and I wasn't even paying attention at that point because it, there are just so many in this.
1: It it honestly is the point where I do not think that in this movie, at least, you would have so much a swaggle thing because it's just <laughs> constant. And I think part of that is because of the way the studio got restructured around this movie, animation wise. It would not surprise you to know that with Walt Disney no longer available to oversee things, there was a lot of stuff that was handed directly to the animators. And I, look, I don't know Milk Carl, but from all I can tell based on the influence he had, if he wasn't like the most respected one that we all turn to and listen to, (laughs) he might have just been the biggest asshole in the room. Like, he might have been really good at making Uh, sure everything was done his way.
0: Now that the ur-asshole of Disney has been removed, the lesser (laughs) asshole can fill the void. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's not mine to to necessarily judge him. Exactly. But this movie is the product of at least an animation (laughs) studio that did a lot of very Milt Carl stuff.
0: Yeah, and I feel like this more than any of the ones that that I've seen from the, the rough era, um... The Xerography era, as it turns out. Yeah. Um Oh
1: my god. Yes, yeah, sorry. The Xerography <laughs> in this is so it the, the opening credits where it's it's just sketchy. Yeah,
0: yeah, they just use the uh, the empty line art. And and it didn't look bad. And certainly for an opening credit sequence it looked amazing. No, no, it's it's lovely. But this is definitely the sketchiest of these that we've seen. Like they they have all been sketchy uh since we we coasted off the cliff that was Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is is rougher than anything. There's a lot of stray lines going on here. Yeah. Uh, and this all makes a ton of sense to me because, I mean, obviously, I am guessing at this narrative, but uh, it is my inference that we're looking at a movie that knew it didn't have a hell of a lot of story stuff to do uh, and therefore knew it was going to be relying on a lot of comic animation and a lot, of, a lot of animation for animation's sake. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we just have a lot of animators clowning around.
1: You also had the same thing with voice acting that we mentioned with The Jungle Book. Where they would bring in voice actors, get them to um, do a bit of scripted stuff, or get them to mess around. And then the animators would take care of that so there uh, are yeah, there's a lot of a
0: lot about the ducks sorry geese
1: yeah the geese are a big one um if you were big into 60s sitcoms this movie is amazing uh don't get me wrong i'm going to be going over some of that stuff in a section on the voice talent but yeah like broadly speaking this this movie has a lot of stuff that is animators doing animation for animation's sake one of the biggest things you can see as far as the xerography goes is look for sections when i can't remember her name uh the lady cat the white one duchess when duchess is in the foreground of something and she moves her head the color of her extends significantly beyond the borders of like this is not like you know they didn't color between the lines and it's not like it's a problem (laughs) it's just like if you want to see the distinction especially if you're used to say 90s era incredibly smooth disney animation Uh, with, like, very, very firm defined lines, she is a thing that will really highlight where it's otherwise because the colour on her is not covering anything.
0: I was, um... I noted the particular roughness of Madame is where it stood out the most to me. Yes. I feel like in a more polished movie we would have gotten, say, a distinct stylization to where the lines in her hair go. Uh, And we clearly didn't have that because they go wherever... Frame by frame. Yeah. And it's quite a thing to watch.
1: Which creates this odd kind of moire effect in her hair. Yeah.
0: She's got like a weird sense of motion even when she's not moving.
1: And I found that especially I was drawn to look at her face, which meant that her hair doing stuff off screen gave her a sense of movement that I wasn't like, not off screen, but just out of sight. Yeah,
0: it's a little bit distracting.
1: Yeah. That said, water. We got a surprisingly large amount of water stuff in this, and it's pretty good. They're getting better at drawing water.
0: Yeah, no, they've been solid on water for a while. Uh, but, uh, uh, well, snow is the the new problem element, mm-hmm. as we've noted, and uh, we won't be seeing any of this in or that in this movie.
1: Yeah, no, it snows in Paris.
0: I no, it seems like not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a I... city. Snow doesn't happen in cities, right? <laughs>
0: I did enjoy the uh, little cameo of Notre Dame, which Mm. we're going to stick a pin in for, you know, 40 years, 30 years later. It's a secret location that we'll use later. (laughs) Uh, Hello, my friend. I look forward to seeing you in a much, much later, much, much better film. Yeah. Yeah, now, I, I... Yeah, there's not a whole lot to say about the animation here, except just the sketchiness. Um, but as you say, the voice acting is is consistently more interesting. Yes. I will say at the start of this, I didn't find this nearly as charismatic as the, the Jungle Book. Like, that really fucking won me over. I was surprised how much I enjoyed the characters. Yeah. Uh, this movie does not have that effect on me. The prominence of the children might have something to do with that, because, like... Once again, they are the weak links in the voice cast. It's not really their fault, they're children. But are those directors' children's voices again? Because I feel like I recognise every one of them.
1: No, all three of those children were direct talent hires and they were all children. Uh-huh. These kids these kids were brought in and um, like screen actors... Get, this is after various laws and, and rules have been put in place to protect child actors... Don't get me wrong, we're, we're not quite there yet, but yeah. there have been certain things that are meant to, to prevent the uh, instances of, just hypothetically, another Bobby Driscoll, who yeah. was, yeah, a, a, a year earlier. Um. So, one. yeah.
0: Yeah, that really puts it into perspective.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, but these child actors, one of them, one of them, one of them, one of them.
0: So, I before we go into this, I do want to predict that I, I think all three of these children appear in my personal favourite from this era. Uh, Which is Robin Hood, of course.
1: Ah. Well, I can tell you one of them I know does, and the other two I do not know. Because their Wikipedia pages are not linked. Two of the children who voiced the (laughs) kittens in this do not have Wikipedia pages, which is usually... Like, that's really surprising. Um, Disney is one of those things that Wikipedians really thoroughly (laughs) cross-reference and cite, which is why I was able to provide such wonderful things as our anecdote about Chanticleer.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, if they were just you know they appeared once or twice or they were someone on Staff's Kids or whatever, then it would kind of scan.
1: That said of the three children,
0: which one's Toulouse? He's the gray one, right? uh he's he's the fat brother, I think. Yep. Is that weird? like none of them is noticeably more. N- none of them is noticeably bigger than the other two but I feel like one of them is is drawn to be the fat kid. Yeah. Maybe it's just the, the tropes that go with him. He's the one who's trying to be ineffectually scary all the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, he feels like he's the fat one. Yeah. Which is weird, because you know it shows how fatness is coded. It does. That said, Toulouse's voice actor was a guy by the name of Gary Dubin. Now, that's not a name you'd recognize, though I know you've seen a ton of stuff he worked on. Yeah. As voice talent, nice voice talent, and you never heard him,
0: and I never heard him.
1: You specifically, Fox never heard him in any of the stuff he worked on.
0: So he's a dub actor. Yes, right. He was huge
1: in nineties and early thousands dub voice acting <sighs> for, and like this guy had good taste.
0: Yeah. Sorry, friend. You were probably good at your job.
1: Yeah. Like he, and, and as far as his selection of what he wanted to show up in, yeah, he showed up in yeah. some good stuff. He was in. Giant Robo, the big O. He was in Gundams. He was two different dub, act, dub seasons of Gundam. He did additional voices for a bunch of different anime, which tends to mean any non major uh, character yeah. under Union scale. And he was in Cowboy Bebop. Like, this guy did not have, like, it, this guy's anime collection was probably pretty sweet. <laughs>
0: Is is our mousy friend Roford uh, Sterling Holloway again? Yes,
1: indeed. Yeah, I didn't okay. even I didn't even bother to write anything down because I'm like, <laughs> well, Fox is going to pick that one
0: immediately. Yes, <laughs> I was pretty sure, but I've I believe there's another uh, voice actor who sounds a bit like him, but noticeably isn't. Yeah, who will pop up in a, a couple of other things. So. Yeah,
1: um, I wasn't
0: hundred percent sure.
1: And I believe that they come up later as the replacement voice for for Winnie the Pooh when Sterling Holloway passes. Yeah, that would make sense. One of the things I found looking at this is that this movie sits on a border. In that there are a lot of voice acting talents, especially Disney voice acting talents, who are doing their last or second to last or third to last role. And there is a lot of people (laughs) who are getting their first, second or third role that we're going to recognize later. Not necessarily from Disney. (laughs)
0: Or I am recognising immediately from Disney.
1: Yeah, and this is this is a situation that Fox and I, very much as people who grew up with animation in the 90s, are going to notice because we had that point where Tony Jay is just the best voice and we recognise him in everything and then suddenly he's <laughs> gone. This is a this is a movie that sits in that bubble of time when there are a lot of people who eventually are just gone.
0: Let's start with the first thing because I wasn't paying attention to the voice credits at the beginning of this. Uh, is duchess uh eva gabor yes again okay yep right
1: yep eva gabor is it appears the disney voice they have for when they want to make something fuckable
0: that's when they want to make someone french yeah you yeah. know like all the other french characters in this movie about french people in france <laughs> well speaking of american accents let's talk about our friendly alley cat
1: or eh. This is this is Baloo again, obviously. Yes, indeed, it was is. It,
0: was he Tim Conway, or was that someone else?
1: <laughs> I've, I've polluted your brain with other bit part actors.
0: No, <laughs> it's uh, Phil Harris. Phil Harris, that was his name. But... I apologize, I only know you as Little John. Oops, sorry, <laughs> I gave it away. But, 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 but. <clears throat>
1: the comparison between Baloo and O'Malley is not new. We are not revolutionary for providing this. This criticism was leveled <laughs> at the movie when it was new.
0: No. Look, he comes on doing a number which is obviously. Could we get you to do bare necessities again? No, we have bare necessities at home. Okay. Leonard Malton in
1: 1987 wrote in the, about the re-release of the Aristocats that O'Malley is quote essentially the same character dictated by the same voice and personality. <laughs>
0: I know it's fair. It's not wrong. I may have labelled this guy a swaggle magnet, and that's because that's the voice that he does for Disney characters.
1: Yes, indeed he
0: does. Yes, indeed he does. <laughs> Beautiful.
1: On the note of random trivia, the old lawyer, uh, Georges, uh, he was voiced by a guy called Charles Lane. Now, you may look at this guy and go, oh, they made a a really old character, right? Uh, Charles, Charles Lane's first film credit was in 1930.
0: Look, I've watched enough cartoons... To never assume that a voice actor is close to the age of the character they're being.
1: What if I told you that in the point where he did this role he was 71?
0: Oh, he's actually pretty old. Okay, yeah, sure.
1: His last film credit was 2006.
0: Wow. That's Hang on, we're in the 70s.
1: Yes. Charles Lane died at the age he of well, 103. He was 100.
0: Wow!
1: And they were. And, and if you go to his page and you open it up and you search for the word lawyer and you have it highlight, it will show you lines upon lines. This guy specialized in playing stuffy lawyer, oddball lawyer, <laughs> goofy lawyer, incompetent lawyer. He was a lawyer in so many different things. What a bizarre niche. And he was in a bunch of different TV sitcoms to the point where in he was in the Mary Tyler Moore show as. Her, um, as her a uh, legal offsider of some variety. <laughs> I don't recognize the names, I'm sorry. But then other 80s sitcoms would have him to come in of like, oh, look, it's the lawyer. Oh
0: <laughs> I just, I loved it. That That is the most interesting typecasting I've ever heard. People apparently just think this guy sounds like a lawyer, but not a super competent one. Yeah. A kind of annoying, goofy one.
1: Yep. And he, like, again, he was 71 when he did this movie. <laughs> and he did wow. a bunch of other movies uh, as the narrator and, again, as, as various varieties of different lawyer. He was in Goof Troop.
0: <laughs> I I hope he was having fun. Because <laughs> if you're working, like, there's no reason you keep doing roles after you're fucking hundred years old unless <laughs> something went, like, super, super wrong with union contracts back in the <laughs> day. Or you're just having a good time.
1: I have never seen this before on a Wikipedia page, but if you click on his, if you go to Charles Lane's wiki page and you click to the section of filmography, it's divided up by decades (laughs) and it's five columns wide. (laughs) It is huge. This guy worked.
0: That's a hell of a career. Wow.
1: And his first role is described as man who shouts hey at train.
0: Was so fucking long ago. It was in 1930,
1: and he didn't get a credit. The, like the credits of the movie don't cover him, but like it's like, who's Charles Lane? Oh, he's that guy in the, he's that guy in that moment in the film who points at the train and goes,
0: Hey! That's <laughs> the good stuff. Alright. Um, provide for me the name of the voice actor for the larger bloodhound type dog.
1: Ah, you, you knew I would want to go to those two, did you?
0: <laughs> like I said, I picked up a few people I recognized
1: the large bloodhound is a guy called pat buttram
0: that's his name
1: yep who was famous for a voice that in his own terms never finished puberty
0: that's how he describes it yep goodness me well to me it's always going to be the voice of the sheriff of nottingham so it
1: is the sheriff of nottingham yes indeed he also was the all-purpose landowner hick, honest, worky kind of boy Yee. in a bunch of other things. He was in a series called Green Acres. He did a guest spot on the Beverly Hillbillies.
0: I've seen him in a mystery science theater as a used car salesman. Yes, you have. <laughs> and it was the weirdest moment of my my uh, film-watching life. Yep. Seeing that voice not on a cartoon character was like... Ugh.
1: Yep. His Offsider, Lafayette is a guy by the name of George Lindsay.
0: Does George Lindsay also appear in Robin Hood as a buzzard? Yes. Yeah, got him.
1: He also appeared in the previous film as a buzzard.
0: Oh, he was one of the Not Beatles.
1: Yep. But the place where you and I would most likely recognize George Lindsay was in an episode of M.A.S.H.
0: Oh. 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 I don't think I can pick who it is. You wouldn't be able to
1: pick it out of nowhere. No. But he was a big, loud, plain-talking Southern guy who loved beach and loved Hawkeye, and he was really good in the surgery and committed the sin of touching Colonel Potter's horse.
0: Oh, oh, right. They want to get rid of the guy so that, yeah, right. He's, um... Yeah. I can't even remember who he was aside from... His name was He Roy. was just a super annoying colonel, wasn't he? Uh, Captain, but yeah. Captain, yeah.
1: Notable in his case is that the reason he got that role in Mash is because he used to play the cousin of Goma Pile. I don't know who that is. Yeah, that's that. Th- there are some fans of really old American media who are like, "Oh, Goma oh, okay. Pile! I remember that. Oh, that's right. He had a cousin, goober Pile, and he kept on. And this guy kept on showing up in live-action shows as a reference oh. to Guba Pile. Oh, I don't
0: like these names. No. Uh, sorry. Before we go on, uh, can you confirm for me? Am I right in thinking? Um, that, uh, up was it? <laughs> Cr- <crumbet. laughs> Cr- crum, Crumon? Crum- Cr- <laughs> Am I right that the Sheriff of Nottingham has an Alabama accent?
1: Yes. Right. Both, both Patram and Lafayette have, sorry, both Patram, Pat Buttram and George Lindsay both have Look, Alabama. Look, that was kind of close. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that by the way, is where you get that odd <laughs> combination of french and very southern because it's like it's near new orleans but it's not new orleans and the boat and and that's why you know mobile Alabama. jimmy buffett has a similar thing. yeah yeah yeah
0: that's the only reason i can identify this because you made fun of me for at one point saying jimmy buffett had a texan accent
1: <laughs> he would fight <laughs> you
0: shit man he doesn't know what kind of accent i have i don't know why i should have to learn his
1: exactly exactly do you want to know about the least important role in the whole movie
0: the least important role. Yeah. Who would I call the least important role? He doesn't get a name.
1: He barely gets full sentences. <laughs> the truck driver.
0: Well, Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I forgot there was another talking character in this.
1: Talking about early roles? Huh? This is a young man by the name of Peter Renaday. He was miscellaneous voices in this movie, notably <laughs> the truck driver. He also went on to be miscellaneous voices in Robin Hood. And miscellaneous voices in a couple of other Disney miscellaneous things.
0: Miscellaneous voices in everything into like 1992.
1: He would then go on to be in everything as a whole bunch of different minor voices and secondary roles. I have a suspicion like he was just good at crowd sound. And he did a ton of that. He was in Shrek where he was crowd sounds. He's in The Princess and the Frog. And I specifically did not look up what he did there because, you know, we might find out later. <laughs> He's a voice in Beautiful Joe of multiple characters. So there's one for Clay and Corey. And he's Splinter in the original Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. And as a reference to Splinter, he's Al Mualim from the first Assassin's Creed game, uh, The Evil Mentor.
0: It's not a reference to Splinter.
1: That, uh, okay, good point. It's not a reference to Splinter, but no. the part of it was like, oh, that's why they got him, right? 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 That's That makes sense to my brain.
0: What, if he can do a vaguely Japanese stereotypical yeah. accent, he could probably do a vaguely Arabic stereotypical accent?
1: Yeah, basically. That's Kinda a, Syrian. That's a fucking worry. <laughs> Hey, look, Assassin's Creed was a long time ago in the year of
0: 2003. <laughs> Man,
1: that's
0: rough. <laughs> um. Do you have a note on either of the goose voices?
1: I do, because
0: I fancy one of them is Lady Cluck.
1: In fact, I was my note here is we'll get back to those two next movie.
0: Yeah. Oh God, is one of them Marion as well? Yes. Wow.
1: Yep, that is that is the pair you are thinking of.
0: I was not. I I was pretty confident of of Clucky, but I Marion is a much more played straight character, so I did not think that was her.
1: Their names are Monica Evans and Car- Carol Shelley. By but the way. I
0: did suspect. Oh, well. Well done, me.
1: Do you remember the duck? Sorry, the goose. The soused goose. Oh, the
0: Uncle Goose, yeah? That's mm. Uncle Waldo.
1: Uh, he is voiced by a guy called Bill Thompson. Uh, this is his last role. He passes away very shortly after this movie comes out. And he is, amongst other things, the original voice of Droopy Dog, the first oh, voice wow. of Scrooge McDuck, and Jock from Lady and the Tramp.
0: Oh, huh. I didn't recognize him not doing one of those accents. Oh, well, he does a good English.
1: Billy Boss, the Russian cat.
0: Oh, right. That's the cat's name. That's okay. Fine. That's a Russian name. Whatever.
1: Thurl Ravenscroft again.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. The guy from Tarzan. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm going to make that joke every time.
1: Uh, Any other requests on this voice acting journey?
0: I I think we've covered everyone.
1: All right. Well, let's let's just throw in my last pile here.
0: I mean, obviously there is a famous, famous voice, but he's not in Robin Hood, so I'm leaving him for you to talk about.
1: <laughs> There's, in fact, two more I want to talk about, but before that point, one last crumb. Uh, Pepito, the Italian cat. All right. Okay. So so this this one is just for me and for Rachel if she listens to this. <laughs> Pepito was voiced by a guy called Vito Scotti, all right? And he was an Italian an voice actual actor. Italian. Like fuck yeah. me. Yep. That's much better than I expected from this movie. Yep. Uh, second generation Italian in America. Tons of Italian family, tons of Italian friends, was apparently very good at getting his friends and family work. So he was a beloved figure. He was also apparently really good at variety of voices. Mm-hmm. So he was known as a he was known as one of the man of a thousand voices, which obviously you know who's going to check. But he did tons of voiceover <laughs> work.
0: A lot of people are going to check because that was also Mel Blanc's nickname. Yeah, so yeah. I um, think exhaustive checking may have been done.
1: But he's in Colombo. He is in 12 episodes of Columbo. Uh, Recurring villain? And he never plays the same character, but he's always playing
0: the same character. Sorry, recurring as a villain was more... Like, I'm not (laughs) suggesting there's the same villain in more than one (laughs) Columbo. That's not really a thing that happens. No,
1: no, no. What happened here is every time they go to a restaurant or a fancy event or they need need a maitre d or a waiter or someone who's working the kitchen (laughs) and he does a bunch and like in some of them he's an (laughs) officious dickhead in some of them he's he's like very helpful and unctuous like and apparently he got along great with peter falk i like i don't have any particular input there he was apparently a beloved dude who also happens to be every single waiter in (laughs) colombo
0: it's look i don't want to be i'm not trying To bring up a racism, (laughs) but there is a quality of being Mediterranean American where uh, the the casting directors kind of love you because you can pass as anything vaguely brown. (laughs) (laughs) It's nasty.
1: I don't remember him ever being anything but Italian and like Columbo has a lot of stuff about Italian food. Columbo, the character, being Italian is a thing that comes up a lot.
0: Well, maybe they actually gave a shit about... uh...
1: And now, I guess, because we're doing trivia here on on Columbo, (laughs) Peter Falk was a cook. So he would take lots of opportunities to show Columbo cooking. So there are a bunch of different episodes of Columbo, which are Peter Falk is going to cook in this one. (laughs) All right, now, so... We have now two doors before you. One which is connected to the Yikes door, and the other of which is connected to the Transformers movie. Which is not the only time the Transformers movie is gonna come up this day.
0: Uh, this is a trick question. Both of the doors lead to Scatman Crothers. Wrong. Ah! Wrong!
1: No! Wrong. No. What's see, through
0: the Yikes door then?
1: The voice actor for Shang Gong.
0: Oh! Oh, well the voice actor for Shang Gong is just someone doing a no-ticky no watchy voice, right? Yep, yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a dude by the name of Paul Winchell, who you will not be surprised to know is a white guy from Pennsylvania.
0: Oh my God. Sorry, I forgot one of my notes on the string of yikes jokes they did with him, where, of course, they also do a, a Chinese accent pun.
1: Yeah, they use
0: brew. Uh... <sighs> <laughs> brew!
1: So, Paul Winchell, if you visualize old-timey ventriloquist,
0: the oh. man you
1: are visualizing is Paul Winchell, the great Varelli. Yeah, he he did the bicker with his puppet thing. He did a puppet on each knee. He had the classic smooth haired, slappy jawed, big eyed, smart mouth mm-hmm. kind of puppet.
0: But he's not the guy we saw earlier doing puppet shit in Disney. Movies, no, right? No,
1: no. That was that was Jimmy Cricket's voice actor.
0: Oh, of course, it was. Um, we made a note of that at the time.
1: Here's the thing. One. Paul Winchell left Disney at one point and started doing work for Hanna-Barbera.
0: All right. And buddy.
1: if you're familiar with how Hanna-Barbera produced stuff, that means he has dozens of roles. <laughs> you just just crank those suckers yeah, out. Yeah,
0: sure. I mean, they were always doing like six or seven shows at once.
1: Paul Winchell was the original Dick Dastardly. Okay. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I was going to say he's probably fucking Top Cat, but that might be because I'm still thinking about O'Malley.
1: Paul Winchell built and patented the first usable artificial heart for implanting inside the human body.
0: Fucking what? I'm sorry. Are we sure this is the same guy?
1: Paul Winchell built and patented the first usable artificial heart for implanting inside a human body. Okay. He was a doctor.
0: Well that Oh god, why is he wasting his time doing terrible race bits? What? You see what oh, I mean? God. I told you there was a this, thing. That was... Uh, yeah, this was tremendously unexpected. <laughs> All right. What <laughs> Well, it's good to know that he contributed something good to society as well as a horrible performance, right yeah. there. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's got he's got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his work in television, which, like, yeah, all right, cool. But what about the actual human lives he actually <laughs> saved?
0: Holy shit! Uh, Hollywood's not really concerned with saving human lives, Talon. When
1: when I saw that he had painted it, I'm like, ha oh, ha, wow. That's the thing. You know, rich rich weirdos patenting weird designs. I bet someone... Except- no! He <laughs> built it! He fucking built one with his hands!
0: Ah, oh, wow. That is the last thing I was expecting to hear going into this. I'm gonna level with you.
1: And he compared it to working on ventriloquists' dummies because it was all about smooth movements of sectors over sectors. Just fucking... What
0: the shit? Wow. <laughs> Why did you have to voice Shungan, man? Maybe don't tell your cousin with the puppets about this. <laughs> you may feel a little inadequate. <laughs>
1: Finally, finally, in the voice talent, we have Scatman Crothers.
0: I'm sorry if I if I ruined your bit on him earlier by trying to be clever. No,
1: you can't ruin Scatman Crothers. Scatman Crothers.
0: <laughs> That's true. He's unfucking touchable.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go over it all here. There is a YouTube documentary called No Small Parts, Scatman Crothers. I recommend you go check it out. It is much more detailed and thorough, and it shows <laughs> you the kind of variety of stuff this guy did, especially because. He started in a Hollywood where black people couldn't get roles, and he finished up in *The Shining*. Um, and so, so me sitting here and going, "Well, you know, weird that they have this actual black guy working in- alongside this super racist stereotype of uh, of an Asian person." Isn't that weird? No, it's 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 an evolution. It's a process. It's it's not my place to judge his actions. It's also
0: a case of getting work where you can get it. Yeah. In a place that does not respect you
1: yeah and and he's great and he's just fucking great and to me uh his first the first place i encountered scatman crothers was that he was the voice of jazz the transformer in generation one and he is why every jazz you ever see after that point is black coated <laughs> like jazz like I, Corey, will argue with me about every single transformer that he likes i don't think he's wrong necessarily <laughs> Uh, But, I like, Jazz is black. (laughs) Jazz is really black.
0: (laughs) Some characters you can read as black, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some characters are very obviously, deliberately, unquestionably (laughs) black-coded.
1: If Jazz was a white guy, he would deserve to get beaten up with the way he (laughs) acts. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds fair. And so that was all the research I did on the voice acting. And when I came across the artificial heart, I'm like, oh, I fucking got this <laughs> like, one. <laughs> what the fuck,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, it's good that you had that because the bulk of this movie isn't worth talking about. It's really not. There's nothing going on.
1: I mean, I tried, I really tried to sit down and like, write down like a central thesis for this movie. And I like, do you want to hear the whole paragraph?
0: Sure. Why not? If it's just a paragraph. <sighs>
1: Edgar's plan is stupid and requires a complete lack of planning and forethought despite him managing a household every day. Basically, it assumes the position of the working class as fundamentally manipulative of the wealthy and disingenuous in their work and that the wealth of the rich is something that they might want for entirely unreasonable and crooked reasons.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one of the earliest things I wrote down in my notes was just, I would resent these fucking cats too. Yeah. Edgar is treated like garbage. And while he's clearly not a good person, uh, it's not difficult to see why he would be like, can we not just have these cats meet with an unfortunate accident?
1: Yeah, he's he's stupid enough to not think, well, when she dies, the cats can die. Like, Yeah, that would that... be a
0: great time to yeah. enact that plan just when no one cared about it anymore. Because... I, we had a newspaper headline again. Like, you know, Pets kidnapped. That gets on the front page of the newspaper. And the only reason that fucking happens is because she has a squidillion dollars. Yeah. And she had a stern talking to the papers about how they should cover it. Pretty much. And if if they go missing after she's dead, nobody cares. That doesn't matter at fucking all. <sighs> oh, I mean, if we didn't have a stupid villain, we wouldn't have a movie, so. We barely have a movie. That's <laughs> true. It's true. This is a really boring love story, right? Yeah. Like, Lady in the Tramp is not exactly a groundbreaking love story for the ages, but like this literally is just she does girl stuff, he does boy stuff, they like each other. The end.
1: Yeah, the romance is it, it it's A plus B. It's boring and basic, and I guess that's kind of what you want in a kid's movie, but
0: not if it's like the center of the film.
1: Yeah. It could be
0: kind of interesting at least.
1: Yeah. And and it would be like, for example, it would be really nice if they make the point of like, yeah, Duchess is a fancy cat who lives in a fancy home, but she's still a cat. Don't <laughs> F with a cat. Cats, cats aren't like private school kids. They are still clawed, strong, <laughs> jumpy creatures that will happily shred you. She's not overweight. That's the only way a cat really gets, as it were, soft.
0: I mean, they clearly are private school kids, because, like, the kitten is scared of a fucking frog. I've seen kittens Ugh. around frogs and, uh... It's grim. Fear is not the response they have. <laughs> That's when an instinct kicks in, my friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found myself want, I I picked up on the edge of something interesting, which is because her voice is so coy, uh, it's unclear how naive she is versus how much she's just playing with him because it's you know, cute and funny. Yeah, and like if she is, that's much more interesting. Like if she's just like, oh, oh no, I want to stay in your uh, pad. Did you call it?
1: <laughs> yeah, her her voice does so much heavy lifting. Yeah. for this because if you read the dialogue, as it were, it's a very tedious thing. Yeah, but then you have Eva Gabor just like imposing thirst on the whole thing, which is <laughs> which is even funnier. When you consider, that effectively, like, I, I remember reading once that Cinderella was a, a groundbreaking character right. for Disney because she had an adult voice actress, that, like, the t- style of voice she used was adult. And I remember at the time, I was looking forward, kind of seeing like, oh, what, does she have, like, a husky voice? Does she, like, forgive me, but does she sound hot? <laughs> uh, which, you know, now knowing that she's 16, I'm like, that's a fucked up article to write, guys. Uh but it's even more fucked up now because Ava Gabor is clearly turning on
0: <laughs> some
1: of the smolder and uh, she's a cute. fucking
0: cat. <laughs> I feel like the Cinderella thing is mostly by comparison to Snow White, if we're honest. Like, Oh, yeah. It's just such a stark difference there. She seems like very worldly and and sexy and snarky all at once by comparison because Snow White is such a fucking doll. <laughs> Ugh
1: and then by comparison like in the evolution chart we have turned yeah. into a cat
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in this later for Hunchback as well cause
1: whew. well your pin for Hunchback was going to be pulled out when we get to the rescuers where apparently they go for an even more <laughs> marriable version of the character when she's a mouse <laughs>
0: Mouth gets well, I mean, that's the only way you can convey that these characters are supposed to be hot, I guess, because they're otherwise fairly realistic cats and mice.
1: Well, Disney's not here to say it, but we want you to think of this cat as one you could fuck.
0: (laughs) We all know in our hearts that we're supposed to understand, compared especially to the the extras in, uh, in the alley cats. Like, our band are interesting but unattractive. Our bit part alley cats are scrawny whatevers that actually look like cats do when they're strays. And then we clearly have our two cats we're supposed to find fuckable. Yeah. That's all there is to it. I think we've spent enough time belaboring that then. Let's give this movie what it deserves and coast right on into whatever land. I want to put a pin in this music. Robin Hood as well, because I think they might have reused the sneaking around the place music in particular. Yeah. We shall shall check that out. It won't be long now before we compare all of these things I'm predicting.
1: Uh, the actual joke, The Aristocrats, does date to before this point, so The Aristocrats is, like, a hell of a joke to involve here. There's a joke? I'm gonna explain the joke to Fox off mic.
0: Okay. Um, there's a scene where... The diamonds on Duchess's collar uh, are intermittently colored or not colored between frames. Um, (laughs) And I thought it was deliberate. I thought it was a way, because it looked like it was making them sparkle as she turned Um, so I was like oh that's a cute way to do that without like involving sparkling special effects or whatever it's actually quite effective so I watched for it in all the other scenes and I think it was just the mistake (laughs)
1: oops Disney Studios have no fucking idea what a record player does
0: (laughs) or a piano I noticed (laughs) yeah yeah card that just says swaggle after swaggle (laughs) How did that get mixed up in there? Boy, these are some incredibly British French aristocrats. <laughs> Every goddamn voice in this Ava Gabor, good on you. Everybody else is American or English. Yep. Damn it! And, and what makes it even more frustrating is that one of the ganders mentions he's English. I know. It, the geese explicitly talk about being from English, so I have a note here later on that's like, yes, unlike all the other Brits around here, <laughs> these Brits are foreigners. <laughs> Thank goodness you told us.
1: The geese try to teach O'Malley to swim the same way I was taught how to swim.
0: Yeah, pro tip. Uh, Swimming is not like baby birds learning to fly. You don't just go for it and assume they'll work it out fine. That's how you drown a child. Or a cat, in this case. (laughs) I'm so glad they got this child to sing. (laughs) Again.
1: Whoever designed that motorcycle fucking loved it.
0: <laughs> the motorcycle had more character than some of our characters. Yeah, that's true.
1: Beautiful shit.
0: All animals are dogs. <laughs> I mean, the cats are pretty much dogs for the The cats are all part. dogs! But fascinatingly, we have a, a dog subversion because our dogs are not good guys. No! Like, they're not villains. But... They're definitely useful by accident. Yeah. They are troublemakers who care only for their own bloodlust.
1: So, so here's another thing, right? If you replace the dogs with a rock in the road, <laughs> what about the story has to change?
0: You don't get the second sequence of him going back and retrieving the things.
1: Well, that's the thing. He could go back and He'd retrieve the things. he just go back things. and pick
0: up the things, but then yeah. you don't get... Like, what? I'm going to say maybe 15 minutes?
1: <laughs> Too long.
0: Of of cartoons that... Yeah, but we don't have a lot of movie talent. <laughs> We're going to fill those minutes. <laughs> I will not release another two-part, bit-part nonsense movie talent, so help me. <laughs> Uncle Walt didn't entrust me with this animation studio <laughs> and his cellar full of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> to go on releasing half movie packages again. <laughs> the amount of time this Basset Hound's ears spend sticking straight up in the air for yes, some reason. Yeah, it's of a Basset Hound. Fucking works. It's so weird. I get that they have some upward motion in them just to make them more expressive or whatever. Um, but like they just—they're st- fucking rabbit ears a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to be like, oh, well, I don't think you see how dog ears work so much as I'm just like, why are they up all the time? It doesn't make any sense.
1: Why does the cat have painting lessons?
0: Well, because they're all pursuing high arts. I mean, why do the cats have piano lessons? Why do the cats have singing lessons?
1: Well the cat's piano lessons make sense. They can play the fucking piano.
0: The cat can paint. Challenge <laughs> you, you just don't understand art. <laughs>
1: One of the best things about this is because you've got the stuff on flashcards and if I mention something and I see you just quietly take Put a, flash a card, card down and just yeah, get rid yeah. of
0: it. I like this system. It's got comedy to it. Um, I love the scene where they go missing in the dark and stormy night and the mouse is like, oh, I've got to go look for them and runs out the door yelling. And I just love the idea of a mouse running out into a storm yelling at the top of his lungs. That'll help. Go for it, little guy. There's a
1: There's a really weird... On, undercurrent of mouse as m- mouse as operator in the world that Disney has loved <laughs> for like years now and it's really interesting that, it's, that like, this isn't the end point, we're at like the midpoint.
0: I mean, it's fun to do stuff with, with very small creatures in a human scale world it's just inherently interesting
1: and when the mouse wanted to do something serious and demonstrate a dedication to a task, what did the mouse get? Clothes.
0: Clothes. Well, specifically, the clothes of a great mouse detective, which I'm sure will never come up again. The diet of these cats is fucking horrifying. Oh, God, yeah. They are going to have the screaming terror shits at all times. Do not feed your cats dairy. And if you must feed them dairy, do not add sugar to the dairy. What the fuck? I think he's just trying to kill them by by a heart condition. Well... By all accounts,
1: the diet they're getting is the kind of stuff that the rich lady aristocrat would probably approve of. So, my thought is the reason Edgar wants the money so badly is because he's been cleaning up liquefied terror <laughs> shits for years. That
0: would explain a lot. Flip, 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 flip. Right, I come to my final card, which just says one genuine laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I do feel like the mouse character earned it, yeah. I gotta say.
1: Genuinely
0: funny moment. Uh, where the mouse yells for silence while trying to pick a lock and just, out of sheer amazement, the humans and the cats stop fighting (laughs) and freeze for a second. It's a good bit. I liked it.
1: A trunk being sent to Timbuktu at this point in history would have been shipped overseas in a two-month journey.
0: Oh, that guy's dead.
1: Edgar dies in a chest full of his own poop and cat pee.
0: Yeah, that's going to be so nasty. I mean, I guess it's not addressed to anyone in specific, so... No, it's
1: just going to the location, and then it's going to sit on a dock until someone goes, Man, that chest smells funny. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> someone mailed us a skeleton?
0: <laughs> I hope it's some, like, uh, you know, British aristocratic... Uh, <laughs> you know, local well-to-do trying to assert himself. <laughs>
1: Storage wars. Allowing. We bought this chest off the dock in Mali. Who knows what it's worth?
0: Oh, 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 oh. oh no! It's <laughs> from France. There might be... Yes, I I think I detect rich cheeses in there. <laughs> that was in poor taste, I think.
1: Speaking of rich cheeses, know what else makes you rich? Capitalism. If you are one of a very tiny number of privileged people who are going to win the lottery. All right, so the box office take on this movie.
0: Oh, all right, look. This is clearly a cheap movie. Yeah, but there is no justice in this world. So I'm going to say they spent more than they should have and made more than they deserved.
1: You are completely correct on all counts. <laughs> this movie cost 4 million to make over 3 years. <laughs> oh
0: my god.
1: It pulled in oh. 18 million in its 1970
0: release. 18 million for this. Mhm. Oh my god.
1: But don't worry. Box Office Mojo helpfully supplies me with two other times this went to the box office. Uh. Not all of its box office, because its box office take is like three hundred and ten million all time. Yeah. Uh, But we have an instance where it made seventeen million in nineteen eighty-seven, where it released across from the second set of the Transformers movie. Wow. Okay. Starring Scatman Crothers as Jazz. (laughs) For one line, he gets shot. Uh. Spo- spoilers for this Transformers movie, I guess. Clearly both films succeeded on his mojo alone. But, it screened in 2012 again and made $6,000. <laughs> okay. One theatre in New Zealand.
0: I, I was gonna say, that's, that's some kind of uh, event thing, right? Because yeah. that's not a... I, I feel like I would have recalled that re-release. Yeah. A
1: 2012 re-release in New Zealand that made $6,000 for one night. Which isn't even that great for one night. <laughs> Look, the, the Aristocats <sighs> didn't do well critically. It's Rotten Tomatoes rating is like 64%. It got panned by critics now. But movie critics in 1987 were actually like really happy with it because the stuff they were comparing it to was the Care Bears movie, the Rainbow Bright movie, and the Transformers movie, all of which they were like, oh, these are just ads. And Aristocats is like, you know, it's it's not good, but it's Disney fair, and it's much better than this.
0: Wait, oh, is this the, the re-release? Yeah, oh, in Okay, okay yeah. That makes more sense because, like, they would have. Uh, <clears throat> children's entertainment was very grass capitalism at that point. So Disney, despite ultimately being grass capitalism as well, was. It seems dignified by comparison.
1: Everything got worse after Ronald Reagan. Right?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: That That's just the hard facts of it. Ronald Reagan made everything materially worse and the landscape of reality you are used to, if you're a millennial, is something that a horrible, <laughs> rich old man invented to steal money. That's it.
0: I mean, think about it in terms of... That's the environment we grew up with. Yeah. And Disney was the shit. Disney was sophisticated children's entertainment. Yeah. Disney was what your parents tried to get you to watch instead Of cartoon robots laser-beaming each other.
1: Yeah, and how many Disney commemorative mugs do you remember having some interest in getting from Pizza Hut growing up?
0: (laughs) I... do you want me to list them?
1: (laughs) No, I just know that we've got some in our cupboard right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have one from The Lion King and one from Beauty and the Beast. But, counterpoint, they both came from Red Rooster.
1: Oh! That's
0: right. Because for some reason, Disney didn't license stuff to McDonald's at that point? I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, Warner Brothers had the licensing at that point. You could, you, they would choose between Batman or Disney. Uh, that makes Disney. sense.
0: And not long after Disney stuff showed up, I remember Gummy Bears stuff uh, in Happy Meals is the first Disney thing I remember.
1: Yeah. By comparison, Pizza Hut had street sharks, so... <laughs> it's
0: hard to say who's doing better or worse in this lineup, to be fucking honest.
1: Whatever the, whatever the choice is, if your option is the Street Sharks, you are doing the worst.
0: <laughs> Red Rooster also just kind of needed whatever they could get. Yeah. <laughs> Since our international listeners won't have any fuck idea which restaurant I'm talking about. Yeah, I was going to wonder, it's like, hang on, Red Rooster is
1: an us thing, isn't it, it? Yes, it is. By the way, we have that's more correct. animated and interested conversation about Red Rooster <laughs> than we have about anything else in this fucking <laughs> movie. Oh, that's not true. So, Fox, what's the next episode going to be about?
0: Ah uh, is it is it the rescuers to we just go straight back to Ava Gabor being sexy again? No no,
1: that's nineteen seventy seven.
0: No, oh, okay, that's later than I thought.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the production rate slows down a fair bit at this point.
0: Well Robin Hood's not till the mid seventies either, I'm pretty sure. Guess what? Wait, <laughs> it's what? next? It's not for a good few years yet, right?
1: Yeah, and there's nothing between it and there.
0: Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, then.
1: Look, warm up the Xerox machines and go recruit oh, a country western star.
0: Trying to make Fox happy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and we will see you then. Bye.